Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We continue our series today, The True Christian, with a message titled, The Things That Are Above. So turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. Everybody is seeking something. Some seek fame, some riches. A lot of people seek both. Warriors seek victory on the battlefield. Athletes seek it on the playing field. Musicians may seek to create or to perform pieces of music that stir the heart. Doctors seek victory over disease, and lawyers might seek the victory of justice, at least one would hope. Builders and architects seek to build structures. Farmers seek to produce food. Manufacturers seek to build products. Laborers may simply seek to put in their time and have a paycheck and care for their families and seek to enjoy their lives. And all of this seeking after something. Creative and imaginative individuals seek to make whatever is being created into something better or to provide the next breakthrough in doing something better. It's been years ago now when I visited the city of Mainz in Germany. It's the very place where Gutenberg invented the printing press. And they actually had a representation of the thing there, and and the guide was taking us through, pointed out that when this thing was invented, it brought an end to the dark ages. And I stared at that, you know, first printing press for a long time, and I won't describe it here, but I was amazed at the thing that really hit me, how very simple this thing is. I mean, why, I wondered, had no one thought of this before? I mean, the thing's not complicated at all. It could have been invented centuries earlier. Had people not sought to make information available? Perhaps we weren't seeking information with all our heart. But here it was, an invention that's as important as, you know, taming of the fire and the creation of the wheel. I mean, what took so long? If people, I thought, had attempted to make more information available to more people, had put all their energy into it, this would have been invented a long time earlier. While those thoughts aside, I point out that all this seeking something, and in the process, we're in our passionate search for something, and we neglect something else. You know, the farmer who works day and night to maximize the yield of his harvest, well, he's neglecting the yearning for spending an evening in a luxurious restaurant. In fact, if you talk to a hardworking farmer and you ask the question about the restaurant, they'll say they've spent no time at all thinking about that. They're yearning for something else. So today we're going to talk about yearning for the things that are above. Let's read Colossians 3, 1 to 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So what's this passage to do with my opening comments that we're all seeking for something and yearning for it? Well, everything. Because from this passage, I'm going to speak about yearning for the things that are above. Colossians chapter 3 marks the turning point in our study of this book. We move from warning against false teachers and false teaching, the warnings against adopting a syncretistic lifestyle. Now we're encouraged to live a life pleasing to God. But that doesn't mean that there's a radical break from chapter 2 to chapter 3. So notice here that chapter 3 begins with the words, if you have been raised with Christ. That thought was expressed back in chapter 2, verse 12, in which all true believers are told we're buried with Christ in baptism. We're also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. 
We learn there that conversion is death to this world and life to God. And furthermore, all of this was accomplished in union with Christ. So in chapter 3, verse 1, we begin with that assumption. If you're truly converted, if you're truly born again, if you have truly received a new heart, then you're united with Christ. Then know also that you were raised with Christ. You are now participating in the resurrection. Resurrection life, which is also called eternal life, has already taken you from death to life. You're now a citizen of the age to come. You belong to the eternal kingdom that is coming. And so if that's occurred, says Paul, then you've got to do something. Or in this case, you've got to do two things. Action follows the declaration that you've died with Christ and that you're raised with him. So notice that our text tells us first in verse 1 that we are to seek the things that are above. And then in verse 2, that we are to set our minds on the things that are above. Now, since the phrase, the things that are above, is repeated twice, let's begin there. We might think it says, think about heaven a lot, but I don't think that's what Paul has in mind here. Notice that Paul says that the things that are above is the place where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Now, that language speaks of Christ's authority, his place of preeminence, his place of supremacy. You read that in Ephesians chapter 1, where in verse 21, we read that Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, the place of all rule, authority, power, and dominion, and above every name that can be named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So notice, yes, Christ's place at the Father's right hand speaks about his rulership in the age to come, but it also speaks about his rulership in this present age. The things above then are the things that demonstrate the lordship of Jesus. So in the context of Colossians, if you go down to chapter 3, verse 12 and following, we are said to seek compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forgiving spirit, love. These are the things that demonstrate Christ's rulership. They demonstrate the things of the kingdom. So when Paul says, seek the things that are above, the grammar indicates that these are the things that we are to be constantly seeking. We're to seek the lifestyle of the kingdom. And of course, the constant seeking is not just that we discover the virtues of the kingdom, but we should obtain or acquire them. It does require effort. But that brings me back to the opening illustration about the fact that everyone's seeking something. The person who is seeking a hedonistic lifestyle is looking for luxury and pleasure in this life. The person who's attempting to build a prosperous business, on the other hand, isn't seeking luxury or pleasure. They're seeking to build something that benefits others or also provides financial rewards. And as I said at the outset, the farmer who's working long hours to bring in the the crop before the winter makes that impossible, that farmer's not seeking to spend the evening in an upscale restaurant. Rather, he's spending the evening on the tractor until the dew means he has to stop long enough to sleep and then hop out of bed and hop back onto the tractor. And here's the point. I think Paul's making this point. If your heart is seeking the bounty of the kingdom, you're certainly not seeking fleshly indulgences. Go back to Colossians 2.23. There Paul is speaking about asceticism. Do you remember that? Harshness to the body, imposing harshness on our physical frame. There Paul says that kind of treatment of the body will be of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Now go forward to the passage we're going to study tomorrow. That's Colossians 3 verse 5. 
And there Paul speaks of putting to death that which is earthly in you. And the first thing he mentions of earthly indulgences is sexual immorality. So the reality was in the Greco-Roman world, it was overtly sensual very much like the West is today. And while there's a great value in fighting this thing so that we're not conformed to the patterns of the sensuousness that we find all around us, but neither trying hard nor resorting to asceticism nor using spiritual wisdom in the various forms of spirituality and enlightenment that there is today, all of that won't get you what you want. You have to seek the things that are above. You have to seek the virtues of the kingdom. You've got to seek the glories of Christ. You've got to look more deeply into those things. Here's the wonderful news. When your heart is filled with the virtues and the riches of the kingdom, there's going to be very little room for the indulgences of the flesh, like the farmer who's on the tractor rather than in the restaurant. So let me say it again. Some Christians spend all their effort trying to fight the temptations they wrestle with. I shouldn't give in to this, they say, and then they spend all their effort resisting. They're like a sports team on the field of play. They put all their effort into defense with no thought of offense. Eventually, without an offense, they're going to falter and they won't hold out. What are you seeking? To be free of sin? Well, that's good, but hear me. You can't be free of sin and all the while simply be barren of Christ. The goal isn't to be sin-free. Yeah, you need to resist sin. But the goal is different. The goal is to continuously seek union with Christ, a relationship with Jesus until the end. Christ, the one in your heart, the one you long for, appears for you in glory and takes you to himself. Did you notice it? Let me say it again. The goal is not to be sin-free. The goal is to seek the things that are above. The goal is to be filled with the knowledge of Christ, to be deeply reliant on Christ, to trust him completely, to love him more than life itself. The goal is to seek the things that are above. Paul says we are to seek, the Greek word for seek means to desire. Give yourself to that. Seek to love Christ and his promises. Desire that more than all other things. This Christmas season is the busiest time of the year for many of us. There's decorations to be hung, gifts to be wrapped, and family gatherings to attend. Like an overstuffed Christmas stocking, there's too much crammed into too little. That's why Back to the Bible Canada is offering you a 30-day devotional booklet entitled Quiet Spaces for Christmas. It's an invitation to be refreshed by the simplicity of God's grace and the arrival of King Jesus. We're also offering you a choice between this devotional or a resource for your kids called Jake and the Christmas Surprise, courtesy of our friends at Laugh Again. It's a funny Christmas story filled with colorful illustrations and Bible verses to reflect on together as a family. It's a great tool for those searching to know Jesus at a young age. Choose one of these resources as our gift by visiting backtothebible.ca. Paul started by telling us to seek things above. Now in verse 2, we're told to set our minds on the things that are above, in short, to direct our thinking. You know, most of us know that we can choose what we think about. You know, the person who's attending a university, 
and looking to get a good enough mark or grade that will allow him or her into a a given program of study, well, that person better get their mind on the things that constitute the course of their study. Let me give you a negative example. Imagine a person trying to get into med school. They're taking courses in biology and chemistry and physics and calculus. It's intensive. It requires a great deal of mental energy. Now, let's say in our negative example that we have a young man who's very bright, but he's fixated on online gambling of some sort. And that fascination consumes his thinking and his mental energy as well as countless hours. So eventually he fails his classes, not because he doesn't have the IQ to make it, but because he hasn't set his mind on his course of studies. It requires some discipline to remain focused, but it also requires something that's more important than discipline. It requires fascination for your field of studies. I mean, what if the young man in question had been fascinated not with gambling, but with biology and chemistry, overwhelmed by the complexity and the beauty of what he finds there? What if he can't get enough of that stuff? Well, in that case, He would still require discipline in his study, but he would be greatly aided by his love for, his affection for, his fascination with his field of studies. We notice that when Paul points us toward the things that are above rather than earthly things, that he begins by admonishing us to seek the things that are above. We saw that among other things, it certainly means that the things above form the center of our affections. Now, of course, in the real world, we got to give ourselves to our jobs and families and our duties. But the focus of our affections are the things that are above, where Christ is seated in the place of power and where the values of his kingdom are not a matter of passing interest, but stir the deepest of our emotions. Once the heart's desire is set on these things, we move next to calling the mind to follow. First the command to the heart, then second to the mind. You know, when we read Colossians 3, verse 2, we might also think of Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So let's do a little exercise and state the exact opposite. Finally, brothers, whatever is a lie, whatever is immoral, whatever is unjust and unrighteous, whatever is ugly and degrading, whatever is worthy of disgust, if there is anything that is unsatisfactory and less than ideal, if there is anything worthy of condemnation, think about these things. (laughs) Don't you understand? The opposite of Philippians 4.8 are the things that fill our television screens, our favorite websites, our chat rooms. Our minds are being bombarded by the impure, and many of us are filled with, therefore, anger and disgust or even delight by the impure. And because we thought so much of things that are worthy of condemnation and hardly ever of the things that are worthy of praise, our minds are set on the things below. And that's reflected in our conversations. It's reflected in the things that we post. It's reflected in where our minds go in our idle hours. And when we give ourselves into our imagination or even our fantasies, it's all about the second list of what's immoral and a lie rather than what's true and what's honorable. Our undisciplined thought life that tends downward is ruling us. And then we wonder why we're so quickly seduced to the indulgences of the flesh. That's because as a man thinketh, so is he. So let's get back to Colossians 3 verse 2. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are of the earth. 
One of the reasons I wrote the book Heaven and Hell is because I wanted God's people to be alarmed by the thought of hell and overwhelmed by the thought of heaven and begin to imagine what's promised there. I wanted us to think. But the same is true of the virtues that Paul later mentions in Colossians 3, verse 12 and following. Remember there, Paul mentioned the virtues of the things that are above, and they include compassionate hearts and kindness, humility, meekness, patience. Start with the first of those, compassionate hearts. Contrast that to the person who only sets their mind on who's wronged them or done something stupid or acted inappropriately. Now imagine the opposite, the person who thinks of people who are in need of compassion and mercy and help, and in their dire circumstances that someone lift them from their misery and offer them blessings. You see, it's a matter of where the mind is fixated, on rudeness or on compassion. Think of the things above, says Paul. And then notice in verse 2, he says, don't set your mind on the things of the earth. And then when we come to verse 3, notice the word for, Greek word gar. It's often also translated because. It marks a causal clause. Translation, that marks a reason given. That is, you are to seek the things above as well as think on the things above. And why should you do that? What advantage do you have? What's the reason for the command? And the answer is a startling answer. Remember chapter 3 of Colossians? It began with the words, and you have been raised with Christ. That is, if you're a genuine Christian, And then what follows is the command that's given to Christians, genuine Christians, why you should do the command. Why should you seek the things above? Here's the startling answer. You're dead. You died. Yeah, that's why you should seek the things that are above, because you're dead to this earth. You're dead to the old self. You died with Christ. You're dead to this world and the things that formerly allured you. That's what happened at your conversion. You were put to death. And then another phrase is added. It's the phrase, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Think about Psalm 27, 5 and 6. It says, for he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock, and now my head shall be lifted above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. That's a Psalm of David. David speaks of the faithful person who's in danger of being consumed by bloodthirsty enemies. So the evil person is looking to consume and kill the righteous. But God intervenes. He hides the righteous person. And then the image shifts from concealment to God lifting up the head of his servant so in the end of the day he is raised above his enemies. Well, to be concealed with Christ in God is to be protected. But in this case, what does that mean? Is Paul thinking that like David, the Colossians are in danger of suffering persecution? Well, nothing in the book of Colossians tells us that. But Colossians does tell us there's a much greater danger. It's the danger of false teachers. It's the danger of being attracted to religions and philosophies of this world that are an affront to genuine faith. And so we have to think that the reason we are to set our heart and mind on the things above is because we're dead to this world, but also because God has hidden us from the attractions of this world that would destroy our faith. And since that's true, says Colossians 3, verse 3, then in verse 4, there's a conclusion. When Christ, says verse 4, when he who is your life appears, to call Christ our life means that Christ is the essence of our life. Paul testified that for him to live is Christ. He couldn't think of any other reason to live. His reason for existence was to know Christ and to make Christ known. 
Christ in life, Christ in death, Christ in my home, Christ at my work, Christ in my loves, Christ in my thinking, Christ in my imagination. All that I am is Christ. And when Christ appears, and here the appearance of Christ is a reference to the second coming. When the one for whom I live appears, I also will appear beside the one who dominates my life and my thinking in all of eternity. We know that Colossians was written to a group of Christians who were in danger of syncretism, that is, of marrying their Christian faith with other religions and philosophies and disciplines and worldviews. And the reason they're tempted in that way, as we've seen, is because they hadn't fully grasped the preeminence of Jesus over everything. He really is the image of the invisible God. And here as we come to chapter 3, we also see that the reason they're tempted is also for a very mundane reason. They've not treasured Christ as the goal of their affections, their loves, and they didn't deeply think of Christ. In short, they'd been seeking things that were below rather than things that were above. And here, I think, is the directive to all Christians today. What occupies your longings? What are the things that you want to live for? What are the goals that you have? What would you gladly give the best years of your life for? For what will you sacrifice? And what does your mind turn to when you give yourself the luxury to daydream? If you seek the things that are above, you'll have the power to resist the things that are below. This is the glory of what God has given us through Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit. John, let me ask you, what should be foremost in the lives of those who are in Christ. I mean, obviously Christ is foremost. I mean, he, you know, he occupies our thinking, but also we seek to bring every uh, thought system um, under the control of Christ so that we view that, that Christ, uh, our consciousness of Christ, his glory, his work in our lives, that is the, the glasses, the lens through which we see the various aspects of our, of our world. And therefore we interpret what we see through the preeminence of Jesus. And I think that's what it means to set our minds on things that are above. Um, when, we, when we don't take Christ into account in everything, well, then immediately we see things from a different perspective, and that's what's setting our mind on things that are below. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, The True Christian, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. Keeping God Central summarizes the ministry of Back to the Bible Canada. The teaching of God's Word via radio broadcast, social media, print, and video resources is not just about data. We want the Bible truth to be known, the truth that leads to knowing a growing relationship with Jesus. Our mission, with your help, is to effectively and faithfully share the good news across Canada and beyond our borders. We're so encouraged by the response of listeners. One wrote, your show is a constant that provided an anchor in an otherwise upside down world. Through your show, I've learned so much more about Jesus, the Bible, and our faith. You know, we really can't do this without you. So please consider supporting this Bible teaching ministry with a financial gift today. Visit backtothebible.ca or call us at one 800 663 Two four two.
925.